Kimball. <laughs> hey, in all seriousness, this morning, I um, have just been so encouraged uh, the past few weeks. Um, having been a pastor here in town now for about 14 years, I've come across a lot of other pastors in conversations and settings, and um, I'm always a little taken aback by um, the pastors I meet that um, like really don't like or allow anybody else to speak at their church. And, um, you know, for me, the last few weeks listening to Justin and Zach uh, speak about their life experience and the things that they've learned um, is just such a reminder to me of what the body of Christ is all about. Um, because their struggles and their victories and, and challenges are different than mine. And they can speak to you guys uh, on different conversations and topics that I honestly can't. I could not have done what they did the last three weeks because my struggles are not those. I have different issues. Um, and so what a blessing it was for you guys to be able to be um, brought in and invited into their life and their healing and their story um, and that I didn't even have to be seen <laughs> in order for that to happen. And um, so anyways, I'm just encouraged. I want to thank you guys for just creating an atmosphere with us that allows for other people to speak and share into um, how God is, is meeting them. And um, they just did an awesome job. Could we just give them a hand again real quick? So as I said, we're going to be starting a new series today called uh, Move by Grace. It should kind of take us pretty much through uh, Easter. So, um, and my hope is that it blends in really well with what we've been learning and kind of uh, accentuates the things that we've been talking about over the, the past three weeks. Um, once we have an understanding that we are broken and, and broken in whatever way that might be, it might be mentally, it might be in our heart, um, our actions, whatever it might be, when, when we're brought to an awareness of some things that need to change, how we go about approaching that change process is critical, okay? Our journey forward through whatever wilderness we might find ourselves in uh, will rely heavily on how we view God's heart towards us and how we view ourselves. So my hope uh, over the next eight weeks or so is to bring some clarity on both of those topics in the months ahead. So as you can imagine, um, as a pastor, I get into a lot of spiritual conversations with people. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll sit down and have lunch and, and kind of hash through whatever's going on in someone's life or thoughts or questions they might have. Um, and I often walk away from those conversations pretty sad, honestly. Um, it saddens me how flawed many people's perspectives are on the heart and nature of God and what he expects from us. And a lot of these folks that I'll sit down with have actually been people that have grown up going to church most of their life. It's sad because when people are guided by these false narratives and limited understandings of the true gospel, they inevitably become disheartened and disillusioned and discouraged and hopeless. Life is not turning out the way they thought it would or should, and they're tired. They're tired, and they're desperate for better answers than what they've been getting so far. And one of those lies that I hear in conversations, and actually just saw um, in a tweet the other day, kind of like one of the biggest lies that 
humanity believes is the basic goodness of mankind. Okay? Most people feel like they're a pretty good person. You know? And I hear that in a lot of conversations. You know, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, And most of us actually think, you know what? We're just a few tweaks away from maybe even being a great person. Right? Just a couple tweaks here and there. Many of you guys know that I coach cross country at Central. And so one of the things I love about coaching running is just, I just go running with kids. And so we just talk. And so on the runs, um, you know, from time to time, the, the topic might become spiritual in nature. They all know that I'm a pastor and they have questions about faith. And so we'll, we'll talk. And I've had a couple of conversations that have been real interesting in the last three years with a couple of boys, um, actually not on runs. We were actually just kind of riding, riding uh, back and forth from this camp that we go to in the summers. And both of them have kind of rejected Christianity um, and have kind of told me kind of their mantra on life. Um, they basically believe that their goal in life is to be a good person and to use their gifts and abilities, and both of them are extremely intelligent kids who probably are going to be successful and, and can have some means, um, you know, to use those gifts to benefit people around them. And, you know, there's an element of like, yeah, that's, that's great that you have that heart that you want to share with others. And when I ask them how someone continues to improve themselves over the course of their life, Um, You know, in their minds, it basically boils down to just kind of self-effort, self-improvement. You know, they're just going to attack whatever flaws they see in themselves, you know, that they see in themselves, right? Um, Until they're even better people than they already feel they are. Um, And as you can imagine, I have to try pretty hard to kind of keep it together while these conversations are going on. Um, For one thing, they're 16, 17-year-old kids, but... Another thing is because that line of thinking is like completely at odds with the biblical narrative and the, you know, the truth about the nature of man and the process of growth and change. So before we get to the Bible today, I want to share with you a story I came across this week that kind of frames this issue of man's perceived goodness so well. So let me put that story up there. It goes like this. Two men board a train. One of them perhaps does something sensible, the other something stupid upon entering the coach. But as they look out, both notice that they have taken the wrong train and are going in the wrong direction. That one man was reasonable and the other stupid is the difference between these two men. It is a difference, however, which has no significance in relation to the fact that both, whatever their individual differences, are going in the wrong direction. This is what the Bible means by the word sin, the total perverse direction of our life, the tendency away from God. That's it, isn't it? The problem with most of humanity is that they're comparing themselves to other people that they're kind of sharing this train called life with, but it's a train that's moving in the wrong direction. Right? Most people in this world are on this train of the kingdom of this world, while God is inviting us onto a different train called the kingdom of heaven. And it's moving in the exact opposite direction of the ways of this world. How things function on those competing trains or worldviews is vastly different. 
And something that's desperately missing in this whole goodness of man conversation is an accurate understanding of our status apart from God. Let's allow scripture to speak on this topic for a bit. So I'm going to show you several scriptures. Some of them are only the first half of the scripture, and we're going to rope it back in here, the other parts. So starting in Psalm 14, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And from Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 5.6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless. And on and on it goes. <laughs> it's not a very pretty picture that scripture is painting of our situation. Not one of us is good. We were all born enemies of God, deserving of wrath, dead in our transgressions, and powerless to change. Even though that news is hard to hear, at some point, every human has to come to terms with those realities, or else deep and lasting and real eternal change isn't possible. And what's at the core, do you guys think, of humanity's unwillingness to come to terms with that truth? What's at the core of it? It's really just a one-word answer. Pride. Pride. It's this sense that, you know, it's really not that bad. I can handle this. I can figure my life out. I can clean myself up. I can do enough good things to be in God's good graces. But the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. If we were inherently good and could be in good standing before God based on our merit, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. And maybe most importantly, wouldn't have needed to allow himself to suffer and be murdered. I mean, if I could please God by simply trying harder and getting better, then the crucifixion was just a waste of time completely unnecessary. So a starting point for every one of us on our spiritual journey is to come to this, come to grips with this reality of, of who we are apart from God. It's that bad news of our inherent condition passed down to every human from generation to generation going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. It has to be acknowledged. And here's the, I think, the real kicker is that it has to be felt at the heart level. And that's a completely different animal. Because I think there's a lot of people, not a lot, but <laughs> there's a fair amount of people that can come to grips with it in their head. 
they can understand looking at their life. Yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. And maybe I've even tried to clean myself up and I can't quite figure it out. And so, yes, Jesus came and they, have, they, can, they can come to, to terms with kind of this list of facts about God that are probably, maybe they'd even say true. But they haven't dealt with it or it hasn't come down and, and just kind of, as that song says, you know, hasn't wrecked us. Because at some point, if life is really going to change, it's got to be emotional. Right? I mean, that was one of the things I remember on my journey with my son as he grew up. And, and he had been coming to church, and we talked about the truths of the gospel. And I remember asking them, you know, at different phases, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16. I'm like, has it, has it wrecked you a little bit? <laughs> Have you gotten to the point where what we're singing about, what we're talking about, like evokes an emotional response in you? When you think about all God's done, is your heart just like, oh my gosh, I don't deserve that. Guys, our situation was desperate and hopeless apart from him. We were on the wrong train, heading in the wrong direction away from God's heart. And though we might have looked around that train and tried to di differentiate ourselves from other people on it based on our looks, our education, our socioeconomic status, our athletic ability, our success in life, the reality is that we were all heading in the same destination, equal in our status as an enemy of our Creator. Let me ask you this. What makes good news good? I want you to think about a time when you've heard good news. Like, what makes it really good news? Yeah, Dave. Okay, there's an emotional investment maybe. What else? If it's something that benefits us, okay, yeah. Let me give you a scenario, okay? Let's say that you already own a successful business. And then a competitor in town, you've already got a bunch of money. Competitor in town, um, you've been trying to buy out, finally comes to you and says, okay, I think I'm ready to sell. And you're thinking, oh, man, this is great news, right? I'm going to make more money than I'm already making, right? I mean, that's good news, right? But, I mean, it's like you're already rich, Right? Now you're just richer. Right? In my mind, what makes good news good is that when the possibility of a bad outcome is, is real. Right? So if you were going to take this, you know, this business that's like failing and about to go bankrupt and somebody in town who has a successful business says, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give you my business. Now that's good news. Right? And so I think for something to be really good news there has to be this presence of this, this idea that, that bad news is a very real possibility, okay? And many of you have come to terms with your reality apart from God, okay? A lot of you guys have come to terms with that. That's why you're here probably this Sunday morning. Um, I'd love for us to share maybe, uh, if we could, what, um, 
Could you, could you explain just in a few words kind of your emotional or spiritual state before you found Christ or before he found you? What was that like for you? What was that phase of life, your condition mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How would you sum it up? Yeah. Praying for death. That was a better alternative than the life you were currently living. Okay. Yeah. Lost. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Empty, no peace, just chasing the next good feeling for a short amount of time. Yeah. What's that? Terrified. Terrified of what? Of death. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Mm. Mm. Yeah, just this sense of just something's not right, and I, I don't know what it is or how to change it or, yeah. Anything else? Those are great, not great answers, but they're honest answers, I guess, <laughs> right? I, I think, you know, for me, it was just kind of like exhausting, right? Because for me, my, my um, sense of self-worth was all wrapped up into my performance, right? It was all, for me, it was about sports and about performing and and, you know, I was decent at what I did and um, had some success, but, I, but it came to a point like where I, I wasn't always successful. I, I wasn't always coming through, and I was having bad races, and, and it was hard to know, you know, who I am. Is my coach upset with me? Are my teammates disappointed in me? I had nothing else in my life that brought me any kind of solidity. <laughs> Is that even a word? I don't know. Okay. Um, other than just how I performed. And then that you can fill in the blank in school and sports and whatever it is. That was the only thing that I, that was my north, my true north. And if, so if that wasn't going well, then who was I? Did people love me? And it's a horrible rat race to be on, right? Because you just can't keep it up. And guys, here's the good news. And many of you guys have encountered it is in the midst of that desperate state, wherever you were at that time, or maybe you're there right now, God intervened. God intervened. And I want to show you the rest of some of those verses that we looked at earlier. So maybe like a couple of the next verses or the, the rest of the verse that we kind of cut off at. So it says down here that, you know, you were dead in your transgressions. You kind of see the first part of that verse, right? Um, it says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 5.10, but if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And then I love this next verse from 2 Corinthians, I think. If you can go to that one, Josh. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to leave that up there just for 30 seconds. Can you just kind of let that soak in? How did we become righteous? What was our part in that? Nothing. We didn't do anything. Jesus became sin for us. He who had no sin became sin, took on my sin, your sin, everyone's sin, and then made us righteous. We just get the benefit. We just have to gratefully acknowledge it and then live like it's true. And if you're like me, when I take the time sometimes to slow down long enough, like even just taking 30 seconds to really look at that verse and just like let the truth kind of wash over me, guys, it's overwhelming. <laughs> and I walk away sometimes just like, oh my, like I don't deserve this. It fills me with joy. I'm grateful. I'm relieved. I'm hopeful. I probably have that feeling like that woman must have felt that day when she was dragged from her house before that crowd and then found out that she wasn't condemned. <laughs> that Jesus actually forgave her. He loved me as he found me. And that part just wrecks me. Amen? When the reality of God's love for us finally breaks through our pride or our self-loathing, whichever direction you might tend to lean, we're undone. Touchdown! All right, who knows? Um, but in that moment when we meet Christ, wherever that was for you, like we're kind of just wrecked, right? And, and in that peace and euphoria, euphoria we kind of begin this this new exciting journey with God. I want to make sure real quickly before I move on that everyone understands to hear the importance of getting things right with God. Okay, that's just kind of the first step. And honestly, it's kind of the step that needs to happen in order for the rest of what we're going to talk about this series really makes sense. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure kind of where you are in that conversation, before you leave today, I want you to come, please, and just talk to me. And come with your questions, come with your pain, come with your horrible past church experiences, and we can just talk. Because getting things right with God is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And the overarching theme of this series is how we respond to and navigate life once we've made the decision to be a Christ follower. What do we do then? What becomes our approach to doing life with God? 
I was 16 when that happened for me. Okay, I was at a Young Life camp in Colorado, gave my life to Christ. And I don't really remember a lot of the conversation um, after that about, you know, kind of people telling me, okay, well, this is what you do now as a Christian, right? All I needed to really do was kind of look around. I had a general sense of how the game seemed to work. And I certainly was aware of the Christian culture at the time. Okay, I came to Christ in 1985, all right, um, the late 80s. Um, there were pretty kind of clear expectations about what a Christian's life should look like at that time. Um, Christians were people who did the usual things that you would expect. You know, they should go to church and read their Bible every day and pray and tithe and not drink or cuss, blah, blah, blah. But at that time, there was a whole other pile of crap loaded on people who were supposed to be Christians. What movies you should or shouldn't watch music you should or shouldn't listen to, right? That's when they were starting to put all the warning labels on all the albums, you know, there's naughty stuff on here, right? Right? That's when you started a lot of conversations about people, you, if you're a Christian, you need to land on this side of this particular issue in society. And if you, you don't, then I'm not really sure where you're at. Kind of to the point where if you watched an R-rated movie or owned a Molly Crew album or Madonna or whoever, or dated that guy or girl who wasn't a virgin, good luck proving your case before God that you deserve to get into heaven. It was a time of extreme legalism. Issues were presented as black and white, right or wrong. There was no middle ground. Not much was spoken about. So while all that was going on, not much was spoken about at all about loving your neighbor, caring for vulnerable people, we were too busy battling the culture wars against the hedonistic world around us, defending the name, character, and reputation of Jesus. It was us against them, and everyone had to pick sides. And it sounds like I'm, like, exaggerating, but I'm not, okay? It was really that bad. And in the midst of all the shoulds and shouldn'ts and the ought-tos, for a lot of people in my generation, that passion for God just kind of dimmed. That overwhelming, overwhelming joy of salvation that we might have felt at some point faded under the weight of the expectations. Because, of course, for all of us, like somewhere under the surface, whether it's spoken or, or unspoken, is this idea or thought that becoming a Christian, you know, should make your life go better. At least that's what they told me was going to happen if I did this, this, and this. But then we all, as we grew up and did life, and, you know, we started to realize, well, huh, <laughs> my Christian friends are getting divorced or getting cancer or losing their jobs or their businesses. We're all kind of experiencing the same pains as everybody else. What do we do with all that? And for a lot of us kind of growing up during that time, and I think it's even true for anybody today, two big troubles kind of emerge. One is that we don't see God for who he really is. And all the ideas we have about who God is, we kind of lose sight of his true nature. And secondly, we don't see ourselves like he sees us. So those are the issues that I kind of want to, 
dive into these next couple of months. I recently read a book, a lot of you guys are, are reading it now too, called The Cure. How many of you have it or have read it? Quite a few of you. Um, we read it with our staff recently uh, as well. And the author talks about this issue of how we, we approach our relationship with God and with community once we've started our Christian journey. And the author talks about this fork in the road that we kind of all come to in our Christian experience as we're living out our faith. And he kind of describes it like this. He calls it kind of two different paths. One path is the path to pleasing God, and the other is the path of trusting God. And the funny thing about this, or the, the, the true thing about this, I guess, is that we make the choice every single day of our Christian faith of which one of those paths we're going to take as we live out our Christian faith. And the path that we choose to take has huge implications on how we perceive what's going on in and around us. And I'm excited because um, the, the book for me kind of put to language, put into words, um, a lot of the thoughts and feelings I've been having like the last 10 or 15 years about the true nature of what is the gospel really, who is God, and what does he ask of us. So I'm excited, excited to, to share that stuff with you because I, I think it has a lot of potential to, to free some people from an underdeveloped and misguided view of what the Christian life is and how it's to be navigated. So we're going to dive in. Today was just kind of the setup for that. Because like I said, um, we can't really understand or appreciate the grace of God until we understand who we are apart from him. Because if you don't understand how bad the news is without him, the good news that he's with you and offering his life to you is not that great. <laughs> it's news, but it might not be that great a news. You know, and you've done it. You've shared the gospel with people and they've been like, eh. I'll just kind of keep rolling with the life I'm living. It's all right. It's not good news to them because <laughs> they still think they've got it. They can figure it out. They're not that bad. They don't really need a savior, right? So today was just kind of laying the groundwork. We're going to go quite a bit deeper uh, next Sunday. We're going to head into communion this morning. Um, so those of you that uh, are new to us, um, we'll have some time of just prayer and just silence where you can just connect and pray with God. Um, our ushers will dismiss you. You'll come forward. You can tear off the bread and dip it in the cup. And if you're gluten-free, there's a bowl down on the end uh, for those folks. So would you join me in prayer?